European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 44, Issue 22. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Addressing the Pandemic of Heart Failure, Old and New Therapeutic Opportunities. This focus issue on heart failure, or HF and cardiomyopathies, contains the viewpoint Digitalis in Heart Failure, Declining Use and Ongoing Outcome Trials by Dirk von Feldhausen from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands and Johan Bauersachs from the Medical School Hanover in Germany. The authors note that while we now have a large armamentarium of drugs improving the prognosis of HF, Digitalis glycosides digoxin and digitoxin, are the oldest drugs in cardiovascular, or CV, medicine and have generally been used in patients with HF and in those with atrial fibrillation, or AF, or their combination. 25 years ago, digoxin was used by around two-thirds of patients with moderate to severe, systolic, HF, although there were large variations in its use in Europe, ranging from 85% in Germany to 40% in the UK. Since then, however, the use of digoxin has markedly declined, and in more recent HF trials, its use was reported to be less than 20%, or, more recently, not even mentioned anymore. Yet in recent years, interest in digitalis has again increased, and it has been suggested that the CV community may have dismissed it too readily, and that its potential role should be reappraised. Accordingly, the RATE AF study in patients with AF and symptoms of HF compared the effects of low-dose digoxin, mean 0.161 mg per day, versus bisoprolol, mean dose 3.2 mg per day, with interesting findings. Although these potential favourable effects should be considered exploratory, it is remarkable that there was no requirement for pacemaker therapy and no increases in pauses on low-dose digoxin. Of note, two current randomised control trials, or RCTs, are examining outcome, and their results will define the future place of digitalis glycosides in the treatment of HF. Pulmonary hypertension is a complex disease. Iron deficiency is common in pulmonary hypertension, but its clinical significance and optimal definition remain unclear. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Iron Deficiency in Pulmonary Vascular Disease Pathophysiological and Clinical Implications Gieter Martens and colleagues from the Cleveland Clinic, Ohio, USA indicate that phenotypic data from 1,028 patients enrolled in the Redefining Pulmonary Hypertension Through Pulmonary Vascular Disease Phenomics study were analysed. The 2022 European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, Stroke European Respiratory Society, or ERS, guidelines define iron deficiency similarly to the definition in HF. Ferritin less than 100 grams per milliliter, or 100 to 299 nanograms per milliliter, with transferrin saturation, or TSAT, less than 20%. In this study, the iron deficiency definition, endorsed by pulmonary hypertension guidelines, 
did not identify patients with reduced peak oxygen consumption, or peak VO2, 6-minute walk test distance, and SF36, P being greater than 0.208 for all, but defining iron deficiency as Tsat less than 21% did. Compared with those with Tsat greater than or equal to 21%, patients with Tsat less than 21% demonstrated lower peak VO2, 6-minute walk test distance, and SF36 physical component score after adjusting for age, sex, and hemoglobin, or P being less than 0.001. Patients with Tsat less than 21% had more right ventricular remodeling on cardiac magnetic resonance, but similar pulmonary vascular resistance on catheterization. Tsat less than 21% was associated with increased mortality risk hazard ratio or HR 1.63 P equaling 0.009 after adjusting for sex, age, hemoglobin and N-terminal pro-brain natriuretic peptide. The authors conclude that the definition of iron deficiency in the 2022 ESC stroke ERS pulmonary hypertension guidelines does not identify patients with lower exercise capacity or functional status while a definition of Tsat less than 21% identifies patients with lower exercise capacity, worse functional status, right heart remodeling, and adverse clinical outcomes. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by John Cleland, Fraser Graham, and Pierre Paolo Pellicori from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom. The authors highlight that the findings of Martins et al. have important repercussions. In particular, iron deficiency may be somewhat less common than previous estimates. Using the HF guidelines definition, Martens et al. found that iron deficiency was present in greater than 70% of patients. However, if a definition of serum iron less than 14 micromoles per litre or Tsat less than 21% was applied, then the prevalence of iron deficiency dropped to approximately 55%. Inclusion of patients believed erroneously to be iron deficient may account for the lack of benefit of a previous RCT of IV iron for pulmonary hypertension. They note finally that clinical trials in HF may also have underestimated the true effect of IV iron by including patients who did not have iron deficiency. You can't fix what's not broken, variously attributed. Optimal treatment of acute HF is an unmet need. Acetazolamide inhibits proximal tubular sodium and bicarbonate reabsorption and improved decongestive response in acute HF in the ADVOR trial. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Pre-treatment bicarbonate levels and decongestion by acetazolamide, the ADVOR trial. Gitta Martins and colleagues from the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, indicate that it is unknown whether bicarbonate levels alter the decongestive response to azetazolamide. This is a sub-analysis of the randomized double-blind placebo-controlled ADVOR trial that randomized 519 patients with acute HF and volume overload in a one-to-one -one ratio to IV azetazolamide, 500 mg per day, or matching placebo on top of standardized IV loop diuretics, 
dose equivalent of twice the oral maintenance dose. The primary endpoint was complete decongestion after three days of treatment, the morning of day four. This study assessed the impact of baseline bicarbonate levels on the treatment effect of azetazolamide. Of the 519 enrolled patients, 516 or 99.4% had a baseline bicarbonate measurement. A total of 234 or 45% had a baseline bicarbonate greater than or equal to 27 millimoles per litre. Randomization towards azetazolamide improved decongestive response over the entire range of baseline bicarbonate levels, P equaling 0.004. However, patients with elevated baseline bicarbonate exhibited a higher response to azetazolamide, P for interaction equaling 0.065, with higher proportional diuretic and natriuretic response, both P for interaction being less than 0.001, greater reduction in congestion score on consecutive days, treatment times time by bicarbonate interaction, less than 0.001, and a longer length of stay, P for interaction equaling 0.019. Martens et al. conclude that azetazolamide improves decongestive response over the entire range of bicarbonate levels. However, the treatment response is magnified in patients with baseline or loop diuretic-induced elevated bicarbonate, a marker of proximal nephron sodium bicarbonate retention, by specifically counteracting this component of diuretic resistance. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Kieran Doherty and Ross Campbell from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom. Doherty and Ross conclude that Mullins et al. present evidence suggesting that bicarbonate may have a role in identifying patients with congestion who might benefit from early combination diuretic therapy. Questions remain as to the treatment effect relationship between SGLT2 inhibitors and azetazolamide and should be a focus of future research. Ghrelin is an endogenous appetite-stimulating peptide hormone with potential CV benefits. In a clinical research article entitled Acyl Ghrelin Improves Cardiac Function in Heart Failure and increases fractional shortening in cardiomyocytes without calcium mobilization. Lars Lund and colleagues from the Karolinska Institutet in Stockholm, Sweden, assess the effects of acylated or activated ghrelin in patients with HF and reduced ejection fraction, or HEFREF, and in ex vivo mouse cardiomyocytes. In a randomized placebo-controlled double-blind trial, 31 patients with chronic HEFREF were randomized to synthetic human acyl ghrelin, 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per minute, or placebo intravenously over 120 minutes. The primary outcome was change in cardiac output, or CO. Isolated mouse cardiomyocytes were treated with acyl ghrelin, and fractional shortening and calcium transients were assessed. Acyl ghrelin but not placebo increased cardiac output, P being less than 0.001. Acyl ghrelin caused a significant increase in stroke volume and nominal increases in left ventricular ejection fraction, segmental longitudinal strain and tricuspid annular plane systolic excursion. There were no effects on blood pressure, arrhythmias or ischemia. In cardiomyocytes, 
Acylghrelin-increased fractional shortening did not affect cellular calcium transients and reduced troponin-1 phosphorylation. Lund et al. conclude that in patients with HEFREF, acylghrelin increases cardiac output without causing hypertension, tachycardia, arrhythmia or ischemia. In isolated cardiomyocytes, acylghrelin increases contractility independently of preload and afterload and without calcium mobilization, which may explain the lack of clinical side effects. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Ewa Jankowska and Piotr Ponikowski from the Wroclaw Medical University in Poland. The authors conclude that the study by Lund et al. revives in a modern approach the old concept pointing out that modulation of the ghrelin pathway may bring benefits to patients with HF, maybe beyond the effect on myocardium. This novel and intriguing evidence generates several questions which deserve to be answered in future studies. Cardiotoxicity of anti-cancer therapy is a topic of growing interest. Chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, or CAR-T, harnesses a patient's immune system to target cancer. There are sparse existing data characterizing death outcomes after CAR-T-related cardiotoxicity. In a clinical research article entitled Biomarkers and Cardiovascular Outcomes in Chimeric Antigen Receptor T-Cell Therapy Recipients Syed Mahmoud and colleagues from the Vile Cornell Medicine in New York, USA Examine the association between CAR-T-related severe cardiovascular events, or SCEs, and mortality. From a multicenter registry of 220 patients receiving anti-CD19 CAR-T, covariates, including standard baseline CV and cancer parameters and biomarkers, were collected. Severe cardiovascular events were defined as a composite of HF, cardiogenic shock, or myocardial infarction. 33 patients experienced SCEs, and 108 patients died during a median follow-up of 297, interquartile range 104 to 647, days. Those who died had higher peak interleukin, or IL-6, and ferritin levels after CAR-T infusion. And those who experienced SCEs had higher peak IL-6, C-reactive protein, or CRP, ferritin, and troponin levels. The day 100 and one-year Kaplan-Meier overall mortality estimates were 18% and 43% respectively, while non-relapse mortality cumulative incidence rates were 3.5% and 6.7% respectively. In a Cox model, SCE occurrence following CAR-T was independently associated with increased overall mortality risk, HR 2.80, after adjusting for age, cancer type and burden, anthracycline use, cytokine release syndrome grade greater than or equal to 2, pre-existing HF, hypertension, and African-American ancestry. SCEs were independently associated with increased non-relapse mortality, HR 3.5, 95% confidence interval, 1.4 to 8.8, after adjusting for cancer burden. The authors conclude that CAR-T therapy recipients who experience an SCE have higher overall mortality and non-relapse mortality and higher peak levels of IL-6, CRP, ferritin and troponin. 
The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Matthias Totsek and Tinas Rasaf from the University Hospital Essen and Markus Anker from the Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin in Germany. The authors conclude that based on the findings of this study, we should contemplate a much intensified surveillance strategy, including an assessment of biomarkers, ECG, and ECHO in all patients pre-therapy. With signs of suggestive SCEs, these parameters should be reassessed and patients should be referred for intensive cardio-oncology workup given the high association with all-cause mortality and non-relapse mortality. It can also be assumed that CAR-T recipients may profit from an intensive follow-up as forwarded for other specific anthracycline protocols at least for the first year following the start of therapy. This issue is complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled Combination Diuretic Therapy in Acute Heart Failure Yang Wu Xin, Hong Wei Li and Jiayu Li and colleagues from the Capital Medical University in Beijing, China comment on the recent publication Combining Loop with Thiocide Diuretics for Decompensated Heart Failure The Chlorotic Trial by Johan Carles Trujas from the Universitat de Vic, Universitat Central de Catalunya in Spain. Trujas et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.